overnight in terms of our sermon series. Um, you know, we're working through the Gospel of Mark. We took a little bit of a break over, over Easter and so forth. But Amimo didn't get through to our guest speaker at Hurst Bridge uh, this week, Rob Coyle. Rob was giving Ollie a break. And so uh, Rob actually just spoke topical. So I got a, a, a text message from Ollie this week as I was just checking, because we took a break as well, and, and um, uh, I was just checking up on the passage, and Ollie, Ollie actually said, well, actually, because Rob's going topical, you have a choice. You could go with the Mark and passage this week, and then, and then we, could, we could sort of catch up next week, or you could go topical. Now, by personality, I love possibilities, and this threw me into into a state of absolute chaos. So many possibilities if we go topical of what to do. In fact, so many that I actually froze a little bit. I thought, oh, no, 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 I don't know what to do. But um, the Lord is good. He always has something for us, doesn't he? Uh, One of the emails I did look at while I was away was some, um, thanks, Sylvia, for passing it on. I just looked at a couple. Not many, but one of them was um, uh, there is a, a national pastors conference um, in Australia once a year for, for senior pastors of Baptist churches. So they all come, to, come together. Um, I uh, don't go to all of them, but this, this particular conference is, has been uh, very, very beneficial a couple of years ago. And I thought, I'll, I'll head along again this year. And so I was a little bit surprised when they um, um, actually asked me to speak this year. Now, just before we get ahead of ourselves, there's a number of people speaking. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just one, one person who's speaking. And and, uh, and the email said, um, you know, it sounds like there's, you know, there's quite a story to tell, which was a funny line because the person convening the conference, I actually don't know them. And I, I sort of thought, you know, yes, my very first pastorate was in Queensland, but so many years ago that very, very few people um, now living in Australia would be born. But I thought there's no possibility that we could have overlapped then, so how would he know me and why would, what story to tell? And um, so I reread the email and it was talking a little bit about your spiritual journey. And I thought, huh, well, that is a story to tell. There is always, should always be a something of a fresh testimony, shouldn't there, to, to tell. So then it occurred to me, well, imagine if, you know, there I am at this senior pastor's conference and, and I don't know, somehow or another, you know, you, were, you wandered into the wrong room and found yourself suddenly there and heard me giving my testimony of what's going on in my heart and life at the moment. And perhaps you heard it for the first time. You might have thought to yourself, gee, I, I didn't know that that was going on for Stuart. Like, wow, why, um, why didn't he tell us? So I thought, there you go. There's my, there's my topic for tonight, to talk a little bit about, or give a little bit of, little bit of testimony. You know, the beauty of testimony is sometimes we think of the word and we think about, ah, that's the thing that you do when you get baptized. That's the, that's the time where you go way, way, way back to that first moment where, hey, you accepted Jesus Christ as your, your saviour and Lord. And that is, that is a very valid testimony. And it is often around a time of baptism or something like that, a, um, a story that you will tell. And God uses it to, to encourage hearts and, and so forth. Um, I, I recall getting a uh, looking through some some emails some um, some time ago, and and to my uh, dismay, I found found one that I really would have liked to see, but I just hadn't seen it for some time. It was Dave's testimony, and I and he'd sent me the link to it, and I remember thinking, I'd like to see that, and so I remember playing it, and, and it really really blessed my heart. 
God uses testimony. But don't always think the testimony is going way, way back to, to that first moment when you met Jesus. You see, the Christian life is dynamic. Um, it, it ought to be a continual discovery of finding out more and more um, about God. We often talk, don't we, uh, about Ephesians 4.12. You know that because that's kind of the name we give, a bit of a discipleship focus in our church to equip saints for works of service and so forth. But why are we equipping saints? What, what is that all about? Ephesians 13 is really the, the whole purpose there. And uh, Paul says, yes, we you know, uh, um, equipping his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, then first, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, unless you have become completely mature and unless you have attained to that whole fullness of Christ, unless that's the case, you probably still have a testimony. You have a fresh testimony day by day by day about this continual dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ in which you are, you are constantly finding out how much more growth there is, how much more maturity there is, how much more I can attain to the fullness of, of God. And, and so testimony should be fresh. And I guess um, in some, some regards, um, it should be the subject of many of our conversations around the church as we build one another up. Like, hey, I can shoot the breeze as, as, as good as anyone on topics of football and weather and cars and all of those sorts of things, but they're, they're really just entrees, aren't they, into deeper discussions? Don't really our hearts really get blessed when we go beyond the surface and we start to say, hey, what's God doing in your life at the moment? What is it? What does it look like between you and you and God at the moment? And, and and hey, frankly, sometimes it might be might be pretty tough. But even in that, even in sharing, making yourself vulnerable and sharing some of the difficulties and challenges, there can be blessing as we encourage one another and spur one another on. So testimony is a great thing. So let me share a little bit of what God is is doing in my life um, at the moment. And you know, a structure is always good. I guess I don't know. As a preacher, always preacher. Uh, let me structure this around three prayers that are ongoing in my life just at the moment. As we um, took long service leave, and, and all three prayers sort of have to some degree or another their roots back into last year and that our time away. Um, whilst going around Australia, the Lord again just touched my heart. Many, many interactions. We were, um, you, you may recall, uh, towing a caravan and often staying at caravan parks and with a, with a peculiar people group called Grey Nomads. Now, these are retirees who are also towing caravans and so forth. And it was delightful interacting with many, many of them as we went around Australia. Now, here's the, here's the question that almost always you get asked in today's society hey, what do you do for a living or where are you? If you're a student, where are you studying and what are you studying and so forth? Do you know retirees? Don't even ask the question. We would get to know these people and, uh, you know, and we'd talk all about, hey, so what rig are you towing? And ours was kind of pretty small, actually. So, yeah, the, the little one there that pops up, you know. And, but some of these were amazing big things with bathrooms and en-suites and kitchens and pool rooms and jacuzzis and, well, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but they're very, very large. But conversations were more about, you know, what you're towing, where you're going and so forth. 
you could be you could be three four days into a little bit of an ongoing neighborly relationship before they actually ask the question you know noticing that we're a little younger than that classic retiree age um what do you do for a living and i usually knew when that question was asked because often they didn't ask me directly um, and we didn't sort of offer it, we just waited. And I could usually tell the question had been asked because this, you know, all of a sudden we'd be chatting over, over dinner or something and, and uh, sharing a bite to eat. And all of a sudden I'd notice that one or the other of the people we're getting to know are just staring at me with their mouth dropped open. And I realised in that moment, ha, they've just discovered I'm a pastor or a priest or however it is that, that Bron chose to try and explain it. And you can suddenly see them replaying tapes over the last three days of everything that they had said, every word that they had used as they sort of assessed, ah, a priest, you know, who wears board shorts. Uh, This is crazy, incognito, a spy priest, what's worse. (laughs) But we had some great conversations. And often as we struck up these friendships with people, my heart was just touched again with just love for Aussies all around the country. I was really burdened by this. I thought, you know what? (laughs) We just are connecting so well. I really like you. I'm so sure. I'm so sure that if you lived in our vicinity, you'd love our church. And I'm so sure that if I ever had the opportunity to share about him, you would love my God. Not once, not once in going all around Australia did I find somebody who had a fundamental objection to God. Not once. There is a, I believe, a a longing for something more in the heart of many, many Australians. And then that's just Australia. This first prayer is really about my heart. Now, I've got a heart for the lost. and, And when I went to visit Paul and Mel, we realized one night, the day, the night before I was supposed to fly out the next morning, there is no way at all I could make my connection in Tokyo. I was flying into a particular airport. What I didn't realize was there is these two different terminals and a 30-minute connection between the terminals. I thought, plus pick up suitcase, I can't do it. I actually can't make that connection. So I actually had to that night all of a sudden change plan, jump on a jump on a fast train and, and bullet my way down to Tokyo. Now, I've never been on a bullet train, so it was kind of an exciting, exciting inconvenience to have. But as I was on this bullet train flying through Tokyo, or sorry, not flying through Tokyo at first, but across the countryside, slowly everything built up. It was nighttime, and slowly you'd see lights, and it was sort of like a light, bing, you know, two lights, bing, bing, three, bing, 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 and then more and more and more until everything just lit up and I realized I'm on the outskirts of the city. About 20 minutes later, I finally arrived in the center of the city just seeing high-rise after high-rise after high-rise in this city of some 40 million people. And, and again, my heart just went out. Who is here to tell them? Now, I have a heart for the lost, but here's this, this prayer. It's an, it's an interesting one. I have a heart for, for people here in Melbourne. I have a heart for our church, really, to, to continue to grow and thrive and become stronger and then to reach out. And, and I, I kind of have this little bit of an inkling. You know, it was fantastic to, to start a campus out of Hurst Bridge and praise God for all of that. But frankly, that's not enough, is it, folks? There are still more and more people here in our own city of Melbourne that are lost. I have a heart for the lost. But 1 John 4, 19 tells me this. 
we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You know, I, I don't know whether, whether sometimes you find other people a little bit unlovable or you find that you don't, you've lost your heart for the lost or that sometimes you, you are no longer thinking about winning others to, to Jesus and, and you feel like you've hit your ceiling of, of love. Could it be because you've hit the ceiling of understanding how much you were loved? We are able to love because he first loved us. So while we're away on this break, Bron, Bron said to me one day, as she, oh, she prays for me, and she said, my prayer for you, honey, is that I just turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, how are you praying for my stew? And, um, and then she, our conversation got, got interrupted, actually. She didn't, she didn't actually tell me at that time what it was that she, she sensed was the answer to that. But um, another point came later on in our break where I had an opportunity to just spend lots of time actually with the Lord and in the Word and so forth. And I was prompted to, to actually go back to what Bron had said. And I turned my attention to the Lord and I said, Lord, I love that question. How are you praying for me? As Romans 8.34 tells us that he is forever interceding on our behalf. Did you know that? Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you constantly, without ceasing, constantly interceding for you. So I ask the Lord, when you pray for me, when you lean over to the Father and you say, Dad, Stewie, I want to pray for him. Here's my prayer. Here's what I want for his life. What is it you're saying? And I sensed immediately, I sensed two things, two passages just jumped, jumped out at me, Jude and Ephesians 3. Jude, that I would understand God's, God's power to, to keep me from falling and present me faultless on, on that wonderful day. But Ephesians 3 also, and in particular, most of the little prayers and scriptures here are, are drawing, I'm drawing from Ephesians. But there is this lovely, for those of you who, who know it, a little chiastic structure in this prayer here, but in verse 16, let me start there. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And then the, the chiastic structure continues. So, but let me just stop there. What did I sense? I sensed that that as Jesus was praying for me, he was praying that I would know more and more how great his power is. You, you know how much I, I love Ephesians 1.18, um, that, that, that promise of power for our sanctification, um, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That power is available to make you and, you and me more and more like Jesus. And so there is unlimited power, really, to, to make us just like Jesus. I love Ephesians 1.18, but now let's apply that promise of great power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Let's apply that power now to this verse. How was Jesus praying for me? I just sensed that I would know that same power, that I would know that power to enable me to live the abiding life. That's, that's right there in, in verse 17 there that, 
that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that I would know the power of God, how able he is, the ability of God to keep me in that abiding relationship. And what happens in that abiding relationship, that's the place where, along with all of God's people, Paul says, that's the place where you discover you can truly experience the enormity of my love, the width, the length, the height, the depth. That's the place, the abiding relationship, that's where you really get to know how much I love. I just sensed that that was, that was how Jesus was praying for me. And no big surprise, I guess. It's a, it was a, a poor that, <laughs> a poor, it was a prayer that God had inspired Paul to pray for the church there in Ephesus. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that Jesus would be, would be praying that on my behalf as well. Beautiful prayer. Huh? I wonder, have you ever thought about that? So my testimony is, is about three prayers. The first one, how, is, how do I sense Jesus is praying or interceding for me? How do you think he might be interceding for you? How do you think he prays over you? Now, by the way, because that prayer happens to come from Scripture, there's no copycat. You know, you can use that too. And I bet, actually, he does pray that over your life, that you too would know the, the enormity, the immense power that is available through Jesus Christ to lead you in that abiding relationship that you would know the enormity of his love for you. We love because he first loved us. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? It's huge and you discover that in that abiding relationship and God will give you the power to abide and to enjoy that. So that's the first testimony. Um, what's going on in my life, what's going on in my heart. God is growing my heart so that I can understand more and more how much I'm loved. And hopefully, as much as I have a heart for, for the masses and the megacities of the world and so many people who still are yet to discover Jesus Christ, that um, nonetheless, firstly, I would, I would learn how much I'm loved and that would, um, that would fuel my love for others. The second one is capacity. Um, when, when I was on board the Doulos and Ollie, uh, Blair, others who have served on the OM ships, they would sort of understand this illustration a little bit. I was good friends with the captain, Ashley McDonald, and I would often go up to the bridge and uh, spend time there. And Ashley was as passionate about coffee as I was, so we'd often, often have a cup of coffee and I would, I'd walk around the bridge. Now, here was the thing that often used to strike me. Um, lots of leadership lessons on board the ship. And I actually watched Ashley in his, in his capacity as captain and as a leader. Here's the interesting thing. Pirates of the Caribbean is not true. Jack Sparrow always steers the ship, doesn't he? Captains don't do that. That's, that's, that's for the helmsman. And captains actually would need to be free. They actually need to be able to, to, to actually do a whole lot of stuff on the bridge. They need to be able to watch the coordinates and so forth. They, they need to be um, uh, checking the radars and they need to know that the helmsman is keeping us on course. But they're, they're actually, they're running the entire ship. They're running the entire, the entire crew. They don't decide the destination. Usually that is given to them. You need to captain that ship to such and such a place. But they do chart the course. They bring out the maps, and yes, even today, they still, still use these old, old maps which are you know, doing all sorts of things, even with radars and depth finders and or GPS and all these other things. Um, old map reading is still a skill. And so I would watch Ashley do all of that and, and command the bridge. Kenny Gann was also a good friend, and Kenny and I looked after together sort of the spiritual well-being of many people on the ship. 
One day we were running a training course and the director, Lloyd Nicholas, and uh, head of personnel or internal ministries, I think they called it at the time, Andrew Scott was there and Kenny and myself. And, and there was this whole group of people and the question that was asked was, you know, um, how do you find leadership being a leader? And I remember Lloyd Nicholas sort of saying at the time, oh, boy, I just feel so inadequate. And I was thinking, wow. And then I remember Andrew said, oh, I just feel so inadequate. And I was thinking, oh, I actually don't. And I was thinking, but this is going to sound really arrogant, isn't it? And I was thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? And then I got to Kenny, and fortunately Kenny saved me because he sort of felt like, oh, no, I think I've, you know, I, I just look to God. He gives me the resources that I have. I haven't felt my, you know, myself you know, too far out of my depth. And I was thinking, Phew, you know, I can be honest. And my answer was a little bit similar to Kenny's at that particular time. But that conversation haunted me a little bit for some time because I thought, I wonder if a day will come where I do feel out of my depth. I wonder if a day will come where I just come to, humanly speaking, you know what, I just, I, I, I'm out of capacity. I've hit my ceiling. In terms of my leadership ability, I, I really do not have what it takes to, to do what it is that God is asking me. And I would probably, I'd probably say in that regard, Ephesians 4.11 is a, is a key verse there. This is that verse, again, it's just before verse 12 to 13, is what is God doing in the church? Well, he's growing us all to maturity and wholeness and unity. 4, 4.12 is how he's doing it. He's equipping the saints. 4.11, preceding that, is the different leadership gifts that he gives to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gives, he gives all of those people. So, one of my prayers more recently has been for capacity. Again, on our trip going around Australia, we um, started in Melbourne, Western Australia. We headed, headed west along the bottom, and, and this conversation I had ongoing with God, lots of hours on the road, was along the lines of, Lord, we've got this whole big long service leave. You know, what a privilege going all around Australia. What would you like to talk to me about? What, what, what would you like to ask, or what would you like me to ask of you? And, and um, I just kept getting this, this sense of, well, what would you like? And then I you know, think, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that one. That's selfish. No, what, what would you like me to like? And, you know, sort of, you know, so days and days of this same prayer. You know, what would you like, God? What would you like, Stuart? What would you like, God? What would you like, Stuart? What would you like, God? What would you like, Stuart? God, I'm running out of long service leave, and I'm now at the top of Queensland here, and we're heading down. What would you like, God? And I was reading in my quiet times um, Solomon's prayer. I read it in First uh, Kings 3 and, and Second Chronicles 1, and it was in a chronological version, so it's sort of it's a combination of it. And I read his prayer, and I thought, that's what I want. God, what you want, and delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You put that desire in my heart, haven't you? Here was my, here was my question for him. God, I, I want, when you ask Solomon, Solomon, ask whatever you want. What is it? And, and Solomon said, well, I'd love to lead and to, uh, sorry, the wisdom and the understanding to lead and govern well. And that's it. That's what I want, Lord. I want the wisdom and the understanding to, to lead and govern well, whatever, whatever that might mean, whatever that might look like. And I'd probably say, frankly, this is testimony time, that I probably found this last season of life pastoring the church, that moment 
you know, where I stood with the others and I wondered, would a time come where instead of like Kenny and I, would a time finally come where I'd say, I'm at capacity. I actually am out of leadership ability, but the need is greater than now what I can give. And it's a sweet place to be because it's a place of utter dependence upon God. But I would say, well, I'm there in terms of, in terms of just leading the church through this current season. Honestly, I stick to that prayer. God, please, now a little more desperately than ever before, would you give me the wisdom and the understanding to lead and to, to govern well? And I think what God has been showing me in, in the midst of that, and, and it's been a, been a delightful discovery, but it is that Ephesians 4.11 thing. It's not just actually Stuart Lee Pastor that is going to gonna pull this thing off. He's given me an amazing team, and, and I've got such a heart, still do, to, to raise up emerging leaders, but my ideal was probably create the perfect environment and then introduce emerging leaders into that and then grow them in this safe, incubated, perfect environment. There's another plan, of course. Don't have a perfect environment. <laughs> Surround yourself with emerging leaders and watch God work through them and watch them flourish sometimes seems to be the way of Jesus, doesn't it? You know, we have our educational methods, introduce a little bit of information, put it into practice, reflect on it, and so forth. Following Jesus seems to be, let me introduce you to a chaotic situation. I'm now going to say something that's probably going to get us all killed. You know, and then the disciples, Jesus, did you just say that? And then there was reflection on that. Yes, I did, and it's truth, and you need to understand it. And the disciples, okay, all right, Lord. Jesus loved the chaotic because it was in the chaotic that his power was able to be revealed. And I guess I'm learning as I pray a prayer, oh Lord, would you give me wisdom and understanding to lead and govern well, that that just might happen sometimes best in the chaotic. But praise God, I have just delighted in the, the pastoral team that he's, he's given us as a church because watching them grow and grow and grow in their capacity for God. And it's just, it is just awesome. Um, I've watched the church council grow in their, in their role as well. Um, they've been fantastic. And, and on a couple of occasions, they have just said to me, you know what, Stuart, you can't do this. We want to take that from you. And that's kind of never happened before. And I've sort of thought, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> Honestly, I've got capacity. I can't do this. I actually need you to operate as a church council so yes, and it's been lovely learning experience um, to, to do that as well. But then there's been something else which has been absolutely beautiful. Um, I've noticed it in a number of different ministries. I've noticed it in the worship team just standing up, doing an amazing job. I've noticed it in prayer over the church, getting lots of messages from people just you know praying for the church and praying for this. And, and um, I believe that God has mobilized our church like I haven't seen in, in many, many years. A whole lot of people kind of say, you know what, this is our time to stand up. You know what, we, we need to be praying more. You know what, we, we really need to, need to kind of get active a little bit. And, and it's been fantastic to see. Um, on one occasion, particularly as it pertains to prayer and, and raising up prayer, um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit like this, all of the analogy and illustration about, you know, leadership being a little bit like the captain of the ship. You know, um, Ashley 
Ashley didn't do it all. You know, watching the radars and the wheel and the coordinates and then they're running over here and hello, and, you know, and, and try, trying to do communications plus navigation plus steering. He couldn't do it all. He had to rely on a team. And they, that analogy works. And I think, you know, more and more I've just been, been learning to relax with my coffee on the bridge and say, how's it going, team? And, and, and that's been great, stretching me. It's really good. But here's where the analogy breaks down. Um, the, the Dulos was an old ship, it's now retired, but back when we were on it, it was actually built two years after the Titanic. We love to take tours of it, and people love to tour the ship because oh, it's as old as the Titanic and it's still sailing, this is amazing. So we'd take people all over the place. One of the favorite places to go, the engine room. You go down and there's a big old heavy white door, you know, it's usually actually always left open because it's so hot in there. This is Blair's favorite place. Um, not his favorite place. <laughs> but you used to go down in the propeller, you know, sorry, I was, we did go along the propeller shaft one time, which is a lot of fun. But we did go down in the engine room and it would be about, you, you know, um, you'd, you'd step down into a room which would probably be about the size of this. No, probably no exaggeration, guys. Be about the size of this auditorium. Um, massive engine in there, plus generators and pipes going away. You wouldn't, it was hard to see how big the room was because there's stuff everywhere. But it was massive. It was about, about the size, I reckon, of this room. And it was a great part of the tour. Everybody was, oh, wow, gee, it's hot in here. How do you work? And, and so forth. As I don't. I've got an air-conditioned office up there. But... Um, um, Imagine when it comes to the church, here's where the analogy breaks down. Imagine we were to open up that big door and say, come in and see what propels this. Come in. And then you just see this big empty void. You wouldn't be very impressive, would it? It kind of, um, you're the captain of what? You, know? <laughs> you can't run a ship without an engine. You're not going anywhere, buddy. You're just fooling yourself. You've got everybody running around on a ship that doesn't sail. And the truth is that when it comes to the church, this is the engine room. And it is the people of God at prayer. That's what, that's what runs the church. Um, you know, you know, the little game we used to, used to play, we'd link our fingers and, you know, teach kids this. It took ages to get it. I don't know what it is about trying to do that. But, you know, here is, here is the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. Here's the people. Uh, correction. Here is the church. It's not the steeple. See, open the door and you'll see that it's the people. It's probably what we actually have to theologically teach our kids. But it's the people. Open the door, it's the people. The people are the engine room and it is when we are praying that, that the ministry is fueled. And so the analogy of the ship breaks down a little bit because we don't have the engine and the doulas was a, was a fiat, I think, wasn't it? It would be emblazoned on the, welded on the roof there. Um, we don't have a fiat engine in here. We have people in prayer. And, and as we pray, we're able to, able to see this. So that's been another learning, learning lesson. So, so firstly, how is Jesus praying for me? How am I praying for capacity? I'm praying Solomon's prayer that God will keep giving me wisdom and understanding to lead and govern well, to actually see how, how this, this church can flourish and, and be all that God has meant it to be. In terms of capacity, how are you praying for yourself? Want the being, the doing. What is it that you're praying for yourself? What's your prayer in terms of capacity? Has God given you a prayer? I wonder. About your spiritual gifts? About how to be used of God, availability? How are you praying for your capacity? And then the last prayer, 
It's by way of testimony. Again, the last prayer is about identity. The first one about heart, the second one about capacity, and this third one about identity. Just before we left on long service leave, we launched the theme, and you can get the bookmark. If you didn't get a bookmark, you can still get them up the back. I think Gudrun, um, for a small sum of $20 each, will give you a bookmark. And it's uh, how to walk on earth as we are known in heaven how to walk on earth as we are known in heaven. And that actually launched our whole series in Mark. Now, we don't say it every week, and, and sometimes as we're working through the gospel, it's easy to forget that, that one of the reasons we wanted to open up the book of Mark was to look at the life of Jesus, because nobody walked on earth as they are known in heaven as perfectly as Jesus did. He just nailed it. And so as we look at him, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. As we look at him and his life, we get to see, ah, that's how you walk on earth as you're, as you're known in, in heaven. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Let me just flip over from um, Ephesians to Colossians for a moment. I don't know if you know this verse in chapter 3, verses, or a couple of verses, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ as we have Set your heart on things above, whether, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let me throw in verse 4 too. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How are you known in heaven? You died. How are you known in heaven? You died. And your life is now hidden in Christ. If we're to know or answer the question, how do I walk on earth as I am known in heaven? You need to know this. You died. There is no you. Your life now is hidden with Christ. The old self, that is. And so we need to come to a place sometimes if we are to answer that question, and I have found this true. Uh, you know, you're going to lead the church in a series. Chances are God is going to teach you first. <laughs> so, Stuart, can you walk this out on earth as you were known in heaven? How am I known in heaven? Well, well you died, Stuart. Really? Yeah, let me show you that. <laughs> and God often shows us that by just stripping away all of the old stuff. This became, I guess, quite, quite real to me in, in January. I was talking to a friend, and he was procrastinating over writing a book. And, uh, and he had a bit of a life coach who was helping him, and his life coach said this, Kurt, you know, your book, it's going to be a bestseller. Once you write it, you're going, to be on the, you're going to hit the speaker's circuit. You're going to be everywhere talking about your book. And, and you know what? It's, it's a bestseller while it's just in your imagination and you actually never put pen to paper. And he said, are you having a go at me for procrastinating? And his coach said, absolutely. That book will never be a bestseller. And it will never, unless you actually start to produce it, Kurt, your procrastination, that's the coat you've chosen to wear. Now, I was thinking about that. I'd never heard the phrase, the coat you've chosen to wear before, but I really liked it. I thought, ha, huh, the coats we choose to wear. Really interesting. And I was just meditating on that and, and thinking about that for a little bit. And I was thinking, huh, what, what coats do we, do we wear? And what coats does, 
does God necessarily have to strip away from us to, to cause us to lay down? And there are lots of different coats, I, I guess, but, but here's a couple. Firstly, the one that other people have made for us. Their opinion of us, their perception of us, what they think of us, what they say about us, put together like some sort of, you know, ornery little patchwork quilt, which is then passed on to us and say, buddy, that is you, that's the coat you need to wear. Now, for a variety of reasons, sometimes we, we actually do that. We actually say, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's you. You need to wear that coat. Oh, I don't know. That is you. And sometimes we can inadvertently slip it on. And we can, we can walk under the, the oppressive perceptions of other people. God says, hey, hey, don't choose to wear that coat. It's not who you are. Get rid of it. Take it off. And so we have to kind of, yeah, I guess I never did really fit. <laughs> it looks really silly too. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to walk under the perceptions of other people. But there's another coat. You've heard me talk about some, this, some of you. There's another coat. And that is the one that, the one that we make for ourselves. I don't know what's worse, the one others make or the one we make. Of course, the one we make we're a little bit more proud of, aren't we? You know, probably fits better and we, we sort of, uh, we do check it out with others. Ollie, do you like the fit? Do you think it, you know, it makes the most of my shoulders? And, uh, and you know, we, we, we like to get, you know, sort of feedback on, on the coat that we've kind of sewn together for ourselves and, and so forth. But there is a coat that you want to wear. It's that robe of righteousness which has been won for you. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate that and move to, move to communion. But this is the last part of the the little testimony and, and prayers that I'm praying. But the coat that Christ has made for you and I is such a perfect fit, it's so beautiful, it's so magnificent that you can't actually wear anything else under it. You have to get rid of the coat that others have made. You have to get rid of the coat that you have made. And by the way, that coat that others have made includes the, the patchwork, the, the embroidery and the, and the um, seamstressing that the evil one, the accuser himself, has put together and fashioned for you. You've got to put that aside as well. You've got to put that aside. You've got to put the one that you've sewn together. You've got to put that aside because the one that you're supposed to be wearing, the one that Jesus has made for you, that beautiful robe of righteousness, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, coat gone, coat gone, but Christ that lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. That coat is a beautiful coat, and that's the one. That's how you're known in heaven, and that's the one that you need to put on every day. Clothe yourselves now in Jesus Christ. Take off that old garb. Clothe yourselves now in Jesus Christ. That's the coat that you've got to wear. And so that third prayer is about identity. The first one is, how is, how is Jesus praying for me, my heart? The second one is, is how am I praying about capacity? Oh, Lord, please, wisdom, understanding to lead and govern well. And the third one is identity. Lord, keep me in that identity that I will walk knowing how I am known in heaven. And that alone, I will only wear one coat and I choose to wear that coat, the only coat I choose to wear. That I will be quick in discarding all the other coats that the one I fashioned, the one that my accuser fashions for me, I will take those coats off and I will only wear the one that I will be wearing for all of eternity in heaven, that beautiful robe of righteousness. It's made for me and it's made for you. And it's made 
from these two symbols here. The atoning work of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. That coat, the cost of that coat, is the cross. It cost Jesus absolutely everything. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. But it has fashioned for you the most beautiful coat. It's what you want to wear. It's the one that he's made for you. It's how God sees you. And my prayer, perhaps for you, in in closing off, is the same prayer I have for myself. Jesus, I just want to know how I am known in heaven. I want to walk in that all my life, all my days. My prayer is that we will still continue to learn that as a church and that you yourself would understand that great coat that has cost your Lord everything to fashion for you. Oh, why wouldn't you wear it? Why wouldn't you walk in that? Of course, we all long to, don't we? But we will face a daily challenge from the accuser saying, what are you doing with that coat? That that doesn't fit you. That's somebody else's coat. That's not yours. Here, put this on. Every day, a battle, a battle, a battle. And we have to... We have to make sure that we are only clothed in, in that. So let me, let me finish there. There's a little bit of testimony. I don't know if that's what I'll share, the pastor's conference or not, or a version of that, but we'll see. But, um, but that's what's going on in my life. And, um, and I, I, I guess, hey, if you feel prompted, Scripture tells us to pray for, pray for our leaders, doesn't it? The, hey, join me in those prayers, the one that Jesus is praying for me in my heart, that I would, that I would know the enormity of his love, pray for me in my capacity in leading our church forward, pray, pray for me in my identity that I would only walk in that one, that one code of righteousness. I tell you what, if that's all you did, you just pray, pray those three things for me, I'll be the most blessed pastor in all the world. I don't deserve it, but I'd love it. Um, and um, I trust that there'd be blessing for you as well. Let me, let me pray for us and, and lead us into this, this time of communion and Band can come. I think they've got something, something to just lead us as we take these elements. But Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the beauty of the cross. It's, it's an overwhelming thought to think that you have fashioned such a coat for us. We do want to know how we are known in heaven and we want to, we want to walk this journey on earth in that knowledge. May we wear that coat, just that one coat that you have fashioned, that beautiful robe of righteousness. Splendid, white, pure. And it comes at a cost. We thank you so much for these two elements that we're going to take in just a moment. We're going to to hold that little bit of bread, but as meager as it is, its symbolism is enormous. You willingly gave up your life so that we could live. And as we hold that cup, Father, we are reminded of your blood which was shed for us. And that through that perfect atonement that covers over all of our sin, we now can have fellowship once more with our Father. So we thank you for these symbols. May they minister to us as we take them now and share this special moment together. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace 
you have been saved through faith. Here's the gospel of grace. Covered in grace. Blessed by grace. Saved and sanctified. Grace through and through. So much grace. Pour over us now once more, Lord, a reminder of your saving grace. We gladly accept it in faith. Thank you.